the Professionally Speaking Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Professionally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Director and Executive Coach of Professional Presentation Services, Ryan Warner. And here with me today is Ian Mihilovich. Ian, did I pronounce that correctly? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. It's Mihailovic, but yeah, let's go with Mihailovic. I get a lot of different names in any case. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry <laughs> about that. Ian has been kind enough to join us today on the podcast. He is the co-founder and CEO of Lil Heads. Um, it's a, a startup company founded in the UK, but they're going to be worldwide. And we're really happy to have you on, Ian. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. My pleasure. I really appreciate the invite and I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, me as well. And and the first question burning is, please tell us a little bit more about Lil Heads, maybe about what inspired you to co-found it and, and just generally what is it for folks who, who are unaware? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Lil Heads is actually a company or, or a vision that very much embodies the concept and values of communication, I would say. It's an adaptive learning platform for children to help to plug literacy gaps. And one of the key challenges in early education and education in general is about how you communicate the learning materials and knowledge to the recipient that is trying to learn. What is the learning environment that is right for them? What are the materials that are right? What is the, the mode of delivery which is right? So, you know, communication just goes into everything and, 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 and it's very much central to, to what we're doing at Little Heads as well as, as, as an adaptive education platform, which is being driven by emotion analytics. So the background here is that there are there will be a global shortage of 69 million teachers by 2030, according to UNESCO. And layer on top of that, that only about today's teaching only serves around optimally around 10 to 20 percent of student recipients in a classroom. The need for personalization and need for digital tooling to deliver that is greater than ever. And then that's central to our proposition. It's a one-to-one -one tutor, which acts as an adaptive learning platform to help kids to plug their literacy gaps. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And obviously myself being in education, very aware that, that literacy is really the key to unlocking all other knowledge, right? If you, the, the better you are at reading, at listening, at processing information, and the better you are at articulating your thoughts and conveying uh, your intent, the better you will be in all other regards, in all of the subject areas. So yeah, I'm definitely with you there. Were you always interested in education? How did that come to come to pass? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. I mean, I, I, I think everyone is always interested in education because we spend the first 20 years of our lives in education trying to be the best that we can and, and our lives are revolving around that and that's definitely my story as well I was one of the children in class that I definitely struggled certainly in early years and I had uh, some private tuition as well and it, it, it's it wasn't until later on that I realized that um, I was good at certain types of disciplines which I hadn't really grasped that well early on 
And I think this is probably the driver for me within education to be able to help young people to understand how they learn optimally, to help them to understand that, you know, everyone essentially learns differently and the modes of delivery are different and the environments need to be different and the tempo needs to be different. And, um, and just to sort of relax in that process a little bit and then to take time to find your way and to explore your own curiosity and then to enjoy very much the learning process as well. And I think those are the, those are the values. That's really my story and those are the values. But that's one of the things that's led me to become a lifelong learner and to be fascinated by learning uh, new topics, languages, um, I'm just a very naturally curious person, so I just I just enjoy reading about things. I enjoy speaking to experts and finding out about uh, new things, and, and 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 distilling that down into a way that can be communicated to others as well. And so I, I just yeah, I, I value learning, and I think we should encourage more lifelong learning uh, with children, but also with adults, right? You know, right right through uh, our entire lifespans. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's really interesting to hear you say that naturally curious person, because I always considered myself a naturally curious person. You know, when we're young, I think we have this, uh, this bias that we assume if we feel this way, that others must feel this way too. But come to realize at a certain point, uh, you know, the curiosity level, it, it, it might fluctuate between individuals. So the fact that you are still, you've maintained that curiosity, which I assume has extended from your childhood, has probably empowered you and probably led you or propelled you, I guess is a better word, down this path. Um, what, what was that like? Did, were you always curious in school and, and did you know you wanted to develop something to help the assist the education system as a child when you were in it? I have to say, I don't think it really occurred to me back then. Um, what occurred to me back then was just, you know, doing what everyone was doing, which is just trying to grind through the learn the rote learning that we had to get through and, um, and, and, and pass exams so that you could get onto the next stage, to the next stage, to the next stage. But I think that I, I don't know that the education system really encourages a lot of curiosity. I think it encourages you to learn certain topics in certain ways and, and, and I don't think it really encourages that curiosity and creativity. And I think we are, we're now moving into an era where there's a much greater respect for creative people. And th th there's, there's a much better understanding of how creative people, in fact, invent the processes and the new things that we'll benefit from and how we can bring together creativity and operations and execution in such a way that, 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 that we can create new and amazing products and concepts and inventions so i yeah i, I think I, I think that's really what what comes to mind when you ask that question gotcha no that's a that's a fair answer right we're all we're all human but i, I was kind of curious did did something because you're an entrepreneur right is that how you'd classify yourself if someone asked you what you do what would you say i guess so yeah yeah i think that I've had a couple of startups. I mean, my background is in consulting, management consulting, strategic and economic development consulting for 10 years. And then I've spent roughly the last 10 years working in startups. So I think I have become an entrepreneur, but I was initially grounded in analysis of businesses, in investment and in um, operations, transformation, delivery, um, and fundamentally execution. 
So that's, um, that's how I started my career. But I think through that process and through my experience you know, in these organizations, I've, I've come to see how things, how companies are run, how things get done. And I've come to see that there are many, many opportunities to create new niches and to create new experiences within the workplace and to progress new ideas in an agile way. And, and I think that's where my background meets my curiosity and also meets lifelong learning um, in, in that, you know, I'm open now more than ever to seeing that this is possible and I have the confidence and also the background to, 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 to be in this arena. I think everyone comes to entrepreneurship in different ways. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I would say that I have essentially become an entrepreneur, even if I wasn't really one always. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I agree with you. I, I'm sure that everyone does come to entrepreneurship through, through different paths. But for your path in particular, you were a management consultant and you were, you had a job and you, you were set in a career. And was it one like event that sparked and said, you know what, I have, I have, I have to follow this? Or was it like a slow burn? Was it like a series of things that kind of led you, you know, what? I think I'd be more fulfilled if I followed a passion? Yeah, I think that I, I'd been working in several countries um, for the first 10 years, working in consulting. And I, what, what I remember is that working in foreign countries, it, you, you see that uh, countries work differently. Cultures inform and drive um, how people do business in, in, in other countries. And I was working in Eastern Europe where in some of these countries, you know, the business practices are a little bit more challenging. They're transition economies, so they haven't established all the um, protections and support that uh, businesses need to be able to operate and thrive. And I was operating in, in what was a challenging environment for business. And I remember when I came back to the UK, I suddenly realized how easy it was to do business there, how easy it was to open companies, how easy it was to uh, create commercial relationships and to, and, and, and the operating framework was there, enforcement was there, support was there. And it's something that I think you take for granted if you're, if you're living in somewhere like the US, the UK or, or a Western um, economy. And that was probably, I mean, that was when I first dived into entrepreneurship where I was invited um, well, I was invited by a former colleague to collaborate on a project for electric car sharing um, and uh, we ended up becoming co-founders and, and, and that's essentially where my entrepreneurial journey started. I'd, I'd been working in energy and uh, renewable energy generation in Eastern Europe. I came back to the UK. Um, I was familiar with, with electric vehicles. I knew the stage of the market. Um, I knew the enormous challenges in, in deploying them. And I came into a new regulatory environment where suddenly there was support, there was funding, uh, there were private investors interested in supporting you. There was a talent pool. And it, to me, it was just very easy to put those components together to, to, to collaborate and build a business. So I, I think that was probably the turning point. And having been through that experience, there was really no turning back <laughs> into, in, into a regular role. I think once you 
see, okay, yeah, I can build this. I can, I can bring these people together. I can raise this capital. I can, you know, I understand how this product has to go to market. I can, you know, and I enjoy this process. It's a phenomenally exciting process. I think um, you, you just continue looking for opportunities to stay in that rhythm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Why wouldn't you, like you said, at that point, if you know, kind of, if you have the answers to the test, then just go take the test on your own type of thing, right? Like you don't need to join a machine anymore. I, I follow you. So Ian, let me, let me ask you, because one thing you and I have always kind of saw, I guess you could say we've kind of agreed on or saw eye to eye on was the, the value of, of communication and obviously in your background, being a consultant coming from that realm and then transitioning into entrepreneurship, you have, I'm, I'm assuming you have seen many different forms of communication, both positive and negative. And, uh, I was just curious, do you have any, anything that springs to mind, any experiences that you, you could share that where you've seen say communication gone wrong or uh, a poor result from communication? <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I mean, I try to focus on the development points. You know, it's always everything's right, and 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 and, but we can try to you know develop in this that or the other way. But the two things that come to mind actually when you say that one was communication. You know, in 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 other countries, there's communication across cultural boundaries, mm -hmm. learning another language, understanding how that language comes together, speaking that language a little bit with with others um, it, um, and, and understanding the practices, the business practices um, there, you, you, there are very um, unique uh, insights that come from that in terms of how people behave to each other, how they treat each other, how they work with each other. That is probably was my first foray. I think into, you know, understanding communication was just going into different, working in these different environments and seeing just how people, you know, just the basics of, of, um, you know, how people say hello and how they say please and thank you and how they present stuff and how they put their point across that. And also, you know, how the society works in terms of hierarchies, because in some, you know, in different societies, things work differently. I mean, you know, some, uh, I mean, I'll go back to the, 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 you know, the earlier example where, you know, in some, in some societies you've got, more of a hierarchical approach, I think, where you, you you have one person that essentially makes those decisions, whether they're right or wrong, and you have people that don't necessarily want to step up and challenge those decisions. And then you pro and then and then you have you know in more developed economies you have uh, you know uh, environments where people will challenge and 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 you know even within corporate cultures within, for example, someone like the UK or the US, I think you get different ways that people communicate. For example, in Japanese companies, it's different to American companies, to British companies and French companies. So that's the first thing is, is essentially cultural communication. I think the second thing that comes to mind is communication within teams. And I, I'll use, I'll refer to startups here because in corporates, communication in corporates, I think, is somewhat more defined and easier to at least comprehend because corporates are selecting people who are of a certain type or a certain culture, a certain background, 
um, often they're indoctrinated you know, through certain ways and procedures, either through graduate programs or, or through the industry that they've worked in, which is similar, et cetera. So people speak the same languages. They have similar practices. So the, communi- the mode of communication, the way people collaborate is, I think there are more knowns around that. In startups, there are more unknowns because in startups, you're usually putting together teams that haven't necessarily worked together you haven't got the background and, and HR departments and, and HR expertise in search and selection for cultural and company fit. You don't even necessarily have a corporate or company culture at that point. It's just the founders. And so the cultural element of communication is something I think which is forgotten or rather, not, you know, just people aren't really aware of it at that stage. And it, it, it's something that really happens by itself and it's, it's, it's kind of defined later. I think, but the bit that I'm trying to get to here is really how different teams cooperate and how you actually execute and get things done in startups because startups are a little bit more complex. I won't say chaotic, but they just, because you're, you're, cre- you're inventing something, you're inventing a product and you're seeing whether the, the market likes that product. So you constantly have to iterate at a very core level in the business. And so the communication on that is, is incredibly important. And a lot of startups fail because founders fall out and because teams fall out, because they're not able to communicate effectively. They're not able to put their points across. They're not able to understand the other person's perspective and come to a way where they can agree. Uh, a middle point they can agree or agree to disagree. I mean, I, I've seen so many startups where, you know, they have blazing rows just because startups are, are younger companies and, and, and people tend to be younger as well. And they tend to have not really developed those, those skill sets and those respect mechanisms as well to be able to deal with, with, with such situations. But moving to another level is, um, is let's say that, you know, you've dealt with company culture and, and, you, you, you've got the respect uh, uh, mechanisms and, and um, you're working together well. You've then got the different skill sets within, within startups and, and companies, which I'll define you know, very, very broadly as product engineering and leadership. And these, and, and, and within product, I would say the creative, the, the creative area. And everyone is doing a bit of everything in startups, but typically people have their modes of communication. So engineers tend to communicate in a certain way. They're structured, they're process driven. Um, often they are, they're also looking at things from a, from a perspective in terms of their own lens, what they, how they've been educated in engineering, the languages they know, the tech stacks they know, and they fit everything around you know, that, that unique lens. Leadership is really externally facing. Um, they speak a different language because they're trying to optimally present the business to investors, to strategic partners, um, to, to customers as well. Um, and so they tend to be less detail-oriented and a little bit broader. And um, that doesn't necessarily gel you know, very, very closely with engineers. On the product side as well, you've got product and, and creative. You know, product and engineering should work hand in glove, but they're very, they have very different ways of communicating, very different ways of looking at the world. Product is obviously an externally focused um, 
world, but within that creativity. And often you might have a product person that is a very creative person as well. And so creative people have got lots of ideas. They are big visionaries. They're very excitable people. Um, but nailing them down into a structure and a process is can often be quite hard. And, and, and so getting, I mean, these three parties to, to actually speak together and to agree and to see the same vision, I think is probably the primary challenge that I've come across again and again and again in startups that I've spoken to, mentored, um, and, and advised um, and also worked in getting people to be able to move forward rapidly in a way that they're supporting each other, I think is, is probably the one thing that, that I think of. I know that's been a very long answer um, and, and you, you should feel free to interrupt me because I think anyone listening to this doesn't want to listen to me uh, uh, speaking this, uh, this monologue. Uh, but that's what's coming to mind. I mean, what what, what are you going to hit me back with here, Mike? I'm kind of impressed myself. I, I you you took us through not the layers. You took us through your full thought process of how you would analyze and approach or evaluate a situation, a scenario, factoring in the key factors at each point and kind of articulating how much you would give them. You know, you would say like leeway. That was impressive. That was a great response, Ian. Thank you for that. Just literally off the top, off the top of my head, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, the point. I mean, that's what I, you know, that's why I, you know, I massively respect your, you know, your niche, you know, the niche that you work in. I think there are so many angles to communication, which are key. One of the challenges, though, with communication is, and I think operating this area is, is that everyone thinks that they communicate can communicate really, really well. And you know, I've just learned again and again and again that the one thing that I need to try to do is to listen. I need to try to actively listen to the other person, try to understand what their lens is, where they're coming from, so that yeah, that's the way that I can essentially work with somebody else is by really trying to bring myself into their world a little bit, understand the language they're using, maybe a little bit about the culture from where they're coming from, what is their experience background as well, what have they done, and, and also, you know, where are they actually coming from? And, and, and so I, I guess just to top off what I said previously, I would say that listening is the key skill to develop. And, and you know, that's probably an entire separate podcast, but you, you probably know a lot more about that, you know, and, and you know, cover that, that ground, you know, in, in your, in, in, you know, in, in your work than I do. Yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate the the deference and absolutely listening is important, but what's what's more important than listening and being receptive is interpreting like what am how does what I've just heard help me to shape my response so that I can achieve my desired outcome. That's the the bridge that people miss in my opinion, all the folks I've worked with, that's the common, the common misunderstanding that people aren't taught that no one really helps to develop this skill. So people say we need to be active listeners, we need to focus on the details, we need to really understand what the person's saying. It's like, okay, so what happens you do all of that, and you know what they're saying. And then now what, like, how do you now adjust or modify your approach to incorporate that so you still reflect their feelings so that they're heard and that you can connect with them and still achieve what you want to achieve, right? That's where the rubber meets the road. That's really the hard part in terms of listening. But 
but sorry, getting back to what you were saying earlier about, I was really interested when you talked about the cross-cultural communications, because that's something that um, in North America, we're facing more and more and not just, not just with cultures, but also between age groups and also in all the, the in different matrices, there's cross-cultural communications that are happening and often it's misfiring and it creates a lot of confusion. And, and like you said, uh, slows down, we say gums up the works in the, in the workplace. And you're obviously no stranger to that yourself. You've seen some of that firsthand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's an interesting point. I think when you talk about age, um, I think that's really something that's always existed. Um, you know, different people in different age groups have different ways of communicating. I think now, obviously, um, you know, we're communicating much more digitally and that's come with a whole new sub subset of communication methods and interactions, um, the virtual interaction. Um, and when I say that, I'm really talking about, you know, the younger generations that are growing up today, Gen, Gen A, Gen Z, um, <clears throat> how they're communicating digitally a lot of the time and operating and inhabiting in digital worlds, you know, how they write things, if they write, um, how they articulate things. Yeah, it's an interesting one because it's, uh, you know, platforms are doing a bunch of the communication for us as well. You know, we are essentially putting out information and the platform is helping us to communicate that information as well. So I think the communication is already being augmented in, in you know, in the way that, you know, you and I might think of, you know, traditional communication of, you know, writing an email or having a face-to-face -face conversation, the way that, you know, you might receive information and send information. Yeah, that's evolved hugely over the past 10, 15 years. And that will probably be a major thing coming through. And I think that's obviously driven by age culture. It's, it's, it's something that I haven't really spent a lot of time on just because I'm not too far from that younger age culture to be in a place where I think I don't understand it at all, but it's something that increasingly I do need to be aware of because it's not just, you know, collaborating with, you know, amazing brains and talent and having amazing work culture. It's also about, you know, your customer base as well. And it's also about, you know, the next, you know, the new world, the next generation. So, so yeah, it, that's a really fascinating subject, actually. It's not, something that I know that much, you know, that I could probably say much more about apart from the fact that I think I'm aware of it, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're for sure. You're, you're conscious of it for sure. I, I know your, your time is valuable here, Ian. So I just have two more quick questions for you and then we'll wrap this up again. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. My question is what advice would you give to someone who was in your shoes at one point, they had, you know, a steady job and were considering transitioning to entrepreneurship, but they weren't a hundred percent sure if it was the safe move, the smart move, the right move for them, but they, they were inclined to do so. What would you, what advice would you give to that person? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think there's two parts to that question. One is the part that firstly, the advice is that you know, you can just get involved in a side gig while you're doing your job. And, and, and it's just easier than it ever has been before. There's, you need the tiniest level of effort 
to get involved. You just need to literally post something on a topic you're of interest. You're, you know, and your, your side gig has pretty much started right there. Um, you start collaborating with people. You start finding out programs that you can join. You start finding what funding opportunities there may be. You start collaborating on building a product or you simply are the product and you just start speaking and then people start sharing it, you know, and you just continue doing that. And I think if it's something that you enjoy and that you're passionate about, you will become successful at it. And it doesn't really, you know, you have to ignore the timeline side because that it can be, it can be months, years, maybe it's going to be a decade, but as long as you're enjoying it and you're passionate about it, it really doesn't matter to you at all. You can sit back and continue to do what you do, knowing that you're building up track record, you're building up incremental organic growth, and you will get somewhere to a place and, and you know where, where, where you know, you're, you're happy and content with your progress. I think the second part of that question is the fact that everyone's doing that, and that makes it really hard if you're an employer because the question then is how do you encourage people how do you select people encourage people to and 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 how do you give people the flexibility to be the person that they are and work in the way that they want to work in your organization when you know how easy it is to get distracted and work on other things and i think that you know one of the ways you know to solve this is is essentially to encourage people to do other things because you want people who are motivated, balanced, and energized. And the way that that's going to happen essentially is if they do have other interests that they're developing. And I mean, to continue that thought process, I would probably say that if you had a highly valued person working for you and their side gig was increasingly taking over and they were spending time on it during your job, et cetera, that might even be a good thing generally because ultimately they would move on and be successful and happy in that role. And you would have helped to propel that. So you'll have a fantastic relationship with the person that you were working with and they um, will become, you know, your alumni and they'll recommend you as well to other people where your organization and culture and fit might work really well. So I think you know, there's a whole ocean and universe of things which come up when you talk about, you know, following your passion. Um, but that is, is what I think employers should be doing in terms of understanding their role in, in creating that and how it brings value back to them. And that is how I think that people should get confidence and immediately go and try something that they're passionate about. And I and really, really, you know, I see many, many people doing this. I mean, I see probably because I'm in the arena, I only see people doing this. So there's probably a lot of people who, who are, you know, who are not doing side gigs. I'm, I'm constantly coming across people, yeah, I've got this, I've got that, I've got, you know, so, so I think anyone listening to this should, should, should get out there. There are so many programs. And if anyone wants to reach out and ping me a message, by the way, I'll, I'll be happy to, uh, you know, to have a sidebar with them and give them a few tips on you know how they can get started with their idea, um, and and you know what is probably the next sort of five to ten steps that they should follow that, that would be the path of least resistance for them, so that they can get over that initial hurdle of thinking, 
I'm passionate about something, I've got an idea, but I'm just not sure what the very next step is. That is the next step that I could, that, that, that takes me minutes and seconds to help someone with. So I'd be glad to help any of your listeners that, that uh, uh, you know, that need a jump start on that. Absolutely. I'm sure they would be appreciative. And we will, I'll definitely ask you for your contact info in a minute. But the, the last question I want to ask you is, tell us, what are the next step for Lil Heads? Am I going to be seeing this available on Amazon everywhere and in every, every child's phone? What, what's going on? What's the next step? Yeah, that was a good question. I mean, the next step for Lil Heads at the moment, we, we're building a an adaptive learning platform based on emotion analytics. So on one level, this is very much a research project and a lifelong project because platforms today do not really incorporate what the person what the user is is thinking and feeling in that moment so if you're with a tutor or a, a private tutor in a class or with another human being that that person is reading your face is reading your voice is reading your body language and there is an enormous amount of contextual information which is being sent back and forth which is goes well beyond the the static experience of, of uh, you know, language exchange. And so I think we're at the very beginning of the journey here to understand what, is the, what, are, the, what are the actual steps to starting that journey? What are the, what are the elements that, of emotion that you can bring in today? Because it's a hugely complex area and we're not really able to read emotions with computers yet in a reliable way, but we can get indicators. We can know if someone is there. We can know, we, we can get indicators that are very unique to, to a person. And in fact, I think this is where, this is the fundamentals of the platform is, is that the way that we're approaching this today is, is that, you know, if you smile and I smile and, and someone else, you know, those smiles are all different, but but computers look at that and think, okay, that's a smile. So these three people must be, must be smiling. But we're, we're going to be having very different experiences. And the question is, how do you understand that better so that you can create a much more immersive and empathetic learning experience in a digital way to help people? So, so yeah, the next steps are to, to understand that step-by-step, level-by-level, and, and, and to finish developing this product. We're still at a very early stage, but just to finish developing it and to enhance our testing and get to a point where we feel that we can put something into the market where we'll be a first to market with a product which is using emotions to drive, you know, to drive that, that very personalized adaptive experience. So it's a bit of a long answer, <laughs> um, and it might be a bit vague as well, but hopefully it, it made some sense. We're excited. All right, good. Well, we're looking forward to it on this end. So Ian, please tell us before we go, where can, can folks get a hold of you if they have questions or if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that they can hit me on Instagram at Ian is learning. Okay. That's probably the best way. Um, I've launched that platform uh, channel recently just as a way to to communicate with people for this type of thing and to post occasionally. So yeah, that's probably the best way to do it. Ian is learning on Instagram. All send right. me a private message there. Sounds good. So send him a message and Ian is learning. Ian is always learning. And we uh, we really appreciate you coming on, on the podcast, Ian. Thank you so much for your time. I'll give you the last word. Anything you want to say to the folks before we uh, tune out here? 
I just want to say, keep learning, you know, find a way to enjoy learning and, uh, you know, don't get discouraged, keep going for it. It's an exciting process. And, you know, we're going to find ways to, 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 to make it accessible for everybody right throughout their lives. Thank you once again, Ryan. It's been great speaking to you as always. And I really appreciate the invite to come on and talk to you today. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Anytime we'll have to have you back one day. We'll have, we'll definitely have to have you back on here. Maybe have a, a part two. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, to all you listeners out there, we wish you success in all of your future endeavors. Keep grinding, keep working, become a better communicator. All right. So that was our conversation with Ian Mihailovich. He's a serial entrepreneur and obviously has a very fascinating background. My name's Ryan Warner, again, director and executive coach at Professional Presentation Services. And if there's anything I can do for you, please feel free to get in touch with me at ryan at professionalpresentationservices.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Visit professionalpresentationservices.com. We have a free bi-weekly dispatch where we send out a professional speaking tip every other week. And my book, The Effective Presenter, has just been published on Amazon. Very excited. Please grab your copy. Leave me a review. I'd be more than interested to hear your thoughts. And any insight, any feedback you have would be fantastic to hear. So until next time, we wish you the best of luck in your future speaking endeavors.